Me? There we go. Turn with me to Romans chapter number one, if you will, with me. Romans chapter number one, and I don't see an usher in the back. Hopefully you've already grabbed your outline and uh, uh, to follow along in the back of your prayer bulletin. And uh, what a fantastic chapter. Boy, this section's a good one, and I think Brother, Brother John's going to head the back, so if you need an outline, we'll be able to get you one here. Romans chapter number one is where we are at. And uh, Brother John Meyer is going to come down the middle aisle. If you need an outline, just get his attention, and we'll be glad to get one to you as he turns around and makes his way to the back. In Romans chapter 1, in verses, uh, we've seen really from verse 19 onward, and a discussion and the reality that men are without excuse, and then this indictment. We've entitled it this way, if you can see there on your outline. And uh, first of all, we looked at God's given revelation that leads every person without excuse. That's not on your outline. But then we came to that point. That's on there that God has given an indictment of mankind, verses 21 and following. We saw verse 21, they refused to glorify and honor him as God. Verse 21, we saw that they refused to thank him for being God, creator, the origin of life, their protector, their provider. They refused to thank him as such. Letter C, we saw that that led to rational, or the refusing, excuse me, of rational thinking, irrational thinking, and yet they rather entertained foolish and empty thoughts. Uh, then let D, they refuse to properly worship God, electing rather to recreate Him. And one of the key statements we made there was that they, they tried to uh, basically um, uh, recreate the uncreated. <laughs> and uh, basically they tried to create the uncreated and uh, by making God in the form of idols, animals, and even man at that point. Then letter E is where we were just a couple weeks ago in this uh, fact that they rendered God's response to them as giving them up. We saw this verse 24 and following, wherefore God also gave them up. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up. We'll focus on those verses tonight. And uh, as we got an introduction, then um, then uh, Verse 28, God gave them over. So we saw that idea of giving up. We said that Greek term giving up uh, here means handing over, delivering to another. And in the case of Romans chapter 1, it's twofold. You see here above me, number one, we saw that uh, first it's God removing his protective and restraining hand, allowing the full consequences of man's sinful choices to be felt to run their devastating and destructive course. And we saw that in that term uncleanness, which we'll elaborate on even this evening. The second idea is that God is actively, directly, uh, and supernaturally sending present-day judgment on unforsaken and unrepented sin. And that's where we left off. Kind of introduction to that idea of God giving them over. What we have to see this evening, and I, I trust we are reminded as we look around, we understand and comprehend this truth, that here in the 21st century, you and I are living amid the debris of the havoc which has been wrought by sin for over 6,000 years. We're living in the midst of it. Here we are at the end, at, at the farthest point to this moment from creation, and you and I are living in the midst of the havoc that sin has wreaked, has brought upon all of mankind. All these things mentioned here, the, the uncleanness, the vileness, the, the idol worship, all the wicked actions and attitudes described in verses 24 all the way down to verse 31, we are experiencing in the world today. Because sin has been around since the Garden of Eden. And it has wreaked havoc since that moment. 
So here's the, uh, you think about it, these things have been going strong, what we read here, for several millenniums. Uh, that's a long time if you think in those terms. Um, and so everything we see today is a consequence of that. And this passage, as it exposes it, exposes this truth, it truly gets to the heart of the matter. Look again with me to verse 24. Notice what it says. Wherefore God gave them also, or also gave them up, notice it, to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. And it begins to elaborate, as we'll see tonight, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, could I remind you what we see in this chapter and what we have termed and described um, uh, what it is that God gives mankind up to? And, and we'll see these pieces and the parts of it described for us in these verses, but let's be reminded of what it is is man's uh, digression. Man's digression is what we're seeing. What happens, as we have already seen in verses 19 and 20, the reality is that God has revealed himself. So it starts with God's revelation in some form or another, whether it be the very existence of God, whether it be about salvation, or frankly, can I tell you, much of this digression can apply to you and I and the revelation God gives us. So first of all comes revelation. Then in response, obviously, to God's revelation, we have a choice to make. In the case of Romans chapter 1, God is expounding upon how man, his choice has been to rebel and revolt against that revelation. So we put this, revelation led to man's rebellion. So God's revelation, man has a choice, and now this rebellion is seen. We, we, we've seen it again in these verses laid out before us, specifically verses 21 and 22 and 23 show us there's a revelation, they're without excuse, and now here's what they did with it in their rebellion against it. In fact, we know that this choice, as it invariably then leads in digression to what verses 21 and 22 point out is this, rationalization leaves. A wrong kind of, we call it irrational, foolish thinking. Uh, that's what it leads to. So from revelation to the choice of man to rebel against it, and then it leads to an irrationalization by mankind that leaves God out. Uh, he has taken the creator and made the creator lower than the creation. Verse number 23, verse number 25. Beyond that, the extreme of this rationalization says what? Well, there is no God that God does not exist, that I'm not accountable to any kind of God in any way whatsoever. Just the other uh, day or two ago, in fact, I, I came across a poem. I looked all over for the author of it, so we'll just say author alone because I couldn't find it. And, uh, but I think it sums up well the lack of logic in man's rationalization when he rebels against God, God's existence. And certainly the authority of God. Poem goes like this, and I put it up here above me. If there is no God, there's little to explore. We're random chance, we're nothing more. Wrong cannot happen in a world without right. There's no heroes to praise or villains to fight. If there's no virtue, then there's no vice. If we have no value, we're worth no price. Uh, can we interject? I mean, what a, that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't understand how an evolutionist can condemn murder. If it's the survival of the fittest, it's the survival of the fittest. 
If we follow that logic to what they say it is, that's really what the poem was putting out. What Ireland is doing is saying that they're voting on whether life has value in abortion. That's what they're voting on. So the poem says it well. If fate just occurred without a design, it's a dark, cruel world void of the divine. Next part says this, but with our God, there's much to explore. There must be a purpose he made us each for. His love was the reason his son paid the price. All evil was crushed through his sacrifice. Though our broken world is scarred by our sin, we all have great value placed there by him. Every choice affects this journey we're on until we return to our loving, good God. Good good poem. Sums it up well. The reality is, wait a minute, if we start to think about in a moment the rationalization that there is no God, uh, we've kind of forfeited. So rejected revelation leads to rationalization that changes man into what? Well, it said verse 22. They profess themselves to be wise, but in fact they're what? Fools. We would call this the regression of man. So revelation, rejected, leads to rebellion. Rebellion, natural, is going to lead to rationalization, a way of God, responsibility, accountability. And that very rationalization literally makes someone who think they are wise a fool. They regress. That regression. Um, and then, as you can imagine, that, that regression then leads mankind to, uh, as they rebel against God, they have to explain their moral nature. They have to fulfill somewhat of this relationship that they are designed to have with God. So then it produces what? False religion. These idols and the worshiping of animals and the image of mankind, that's what it is. A false religion born out of a rationalization that has originated in rebellion to the very revelation of God. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's boy, just domino after domino after domino if we follow it. And we're building the case. So, in other words, let's get to it. How does someone get to become what verse 30 and 29 and 30, that their lives are marked by this? What even we'll study tonight in, in, in sexual immorality and homosexuality. How does the world become so gross and bad? Some of you, the older generation, you've sat back and you've wondered, how has this happened to the world in the last 40 years? Romans chapter 1 is how it's happened. And it didn't just start 40 years ago. Frankly, it started 6,000 plus years ago. And sin was introduced, and man continually refused and rebelled and then rationalized and then came up with every kind of false religion you can imagine. And then that's what leads here, what we have before us that we will witness now tonight and the nights following is that this digression then finds its culmination in what we would call reprobation. Reprobation in theological terms just simply means the abandonment by God. We've talked about this last week, that turning over or, or, or giving up, excuse me, it's not that God just washes his hands of it, but no, he, he abandons mankind to the consequences of their sin, to the judgment they righteously and justifiably face for their wrongdoing. And so we'll see that even tonight. When God gives man up to uncleanness, what's he doing? We read this in verse 20, 24. We find the answer in this passage. Gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Therein is the key. What is God turning man over to? His own heart. 
You're not turning them over to, to necessarily just outside influences or something like that. When God turns mankind over in this first aspect of reprobation, he's just turning man over to his own heart, to follow his own heart. It's one of the reasons I hate, I, I, frankly, I hate's a strong word, but I think it's true. It's one of the reasons I hate that statement that we hear in the world. Just follow your heart. I hate that. Because, why? Because if you follow your heart and you don't know Jesus Christ, it's not going to lead a very good place. The heart is desperately wicked. And even when we're saved, if you follow your heart, you better make sure your heart follows this. Uh, so that statement, ah, oh, follow your heart. Hey, my friend, we've seen in history where God has given people over to the devices of their own heart, the imaginations of their own heart, and it is not a good place to be. But that is exactly what Romans chapter 1, verse 24 is saying, that God turns them over to their own hearts. Now, there needs to be obviously much said in this description, this thought of, of what it means to, to be turned over to your own heart. Uh, think of it in this terms um, as it is the outpouring, what Romans chapter 1 is. It is the outpouring of that heart, what is described on these pages. The desperately wicked heart of man. It is the essence and expression. So what God is going to details happens next is in the heart of man. He didn't need Hollywood. He didn't need anybody else to come up with it. It's here. It originates here. The depravity of man. So he turns us over to the lust of our own heart. Those things outside of us are certainly helpers, uh, maybe enhancers if we could put it that way. Uh, but our hearts are desperately wicked. It's interesting. We would put it this way. We, we must remember that man's lost state is not determined by any outward circumstances of life. No, his lost state is determined by the inner condition of of one's heart. He's lost because of what his heart is. It's desperately wicked. Hey, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, remember what he said? He said evil, he spoke of evil thoughts. He spoke of murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. That's the quote. He said they came from where? The heart. All those things came from the heart. That's where they originate. So if, we, if someone is turning them over to their own heart, Watch out. We know what's going to come. We know what's going to show up. When, when they reject God and God turns them over to the lust of their own heart, this whole description of Romans chapter 1 comes flowing through in culture and society and the life of a person. You ever look at someone and they've turned, they've rebelled against God, they've started using their own rationalization, and you wonder how, boy, they, they've fallen so quickly. They've gone such a wrong direction on such so quickly. Well, here it is. God has turned them over to the lust of their own heart. To follow it, to, to search after it, if we might describe it in that way. It's interesting. One of the, the keys to this is this. When we are saved, boy, I sure am thankful that God gives us a new heart. That new nature. He, he renews it daily. Now, that's not the organ within us that beats. We understand that. It's really that inner man. It's our thinking. It's part of our will. I love the verse, verse that says that it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you know what happens daily as I walk and talk with God, as I read his word? He is working in me to renew my heart, to make a new heart, create a clean heart inside of me. And that is a great privilege of being a child of God. 
then we have a new heart. So I'm getting out all this junk, the Holy Spirit, with God's Word's help. I'm getting out all the junk so that the new stuff, the good stuff, can be here. Following after God's will, fulfilling what His commands and His Word says. He's doing that. It is also involves and influences our emotions, our affections when God puts the new heart within us. Um, it very much is the idea that uh, that new nature that God gives us at salvation. But think of it, if a heart is desperately wicked without the intervention of God, then obviously the desires and lusts of the heart are wicked also. So if I don't have God coming and indwelling me, and I've rejected God, and He's not helping me to renew my affections and my desires, they are going to be naturally wicked, evil, sinful. That's my heart. Obviously, many times when we're witnessing, boy, that does not strike someone. They don't want to hear that (laughs) they are naturally wicked, sinful, that they are desperately wicked. Notice this truth as we kind of delve a little further into it. One has said and identified that this degradation of man, this digression, it incorporates his entire, his entire being. And I like the observation. They, they said these three giving up or giving over statements kind of show a digression even within a man. The first one here literally deals with the body. It deals with our bodies. Verse 24 says that, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And so what you see is that this giving up to uncleanness has to do with our bodies, the the physical aspect of it. Um, It's a simple reference. Now, uh, forgive me, but this is what Romans 1 says, and we have to understand how this is crucial to mankind. It is a reference that dishonoring their own body to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And you will see it, it flows throughout the entire passage before us. Um, It's a lack of purity. It's not conduct that flows from a pure heart, but conduct that comes from a wicked, sinful heart. Now, here's a truth. It's up here above me. It's on your outline. Note it. This is so very true. Sexual immorality is a clear and irrefutable indicator of the spiritual depravity of the human heart. Sexual immorality is an irrefutable, clear indicator of the spiritual depravity of the human heart. It's a thermometer. You can tell, okay, what's going on by sexual immorality. How people view sex, how they view what God created in the sexual realm. As goes the heart, so goes the body. History. History is full of examples of whole kingdoms and nations that prove this to be so. Even today, sex and immorality are prolific in the, na- in the nations in which the spiritual light burns dimly. So you take nations around the world, and, and whether they, they have never had a spiritual light, and it's just barely beginning, but burning dimly, or you take somebody like America, in which our spiritual light seems to have been dimmed from once it once was, what do you find? Sexual immorality is just explodes. And we call that, you know what, unfortunately, we think that that's progress. We think that that's the West coming over to the East and other places. We think this is wonderful. They're becoming, frankly, reprobates. We think they're becoming more civilized is what the world tells us. The reality is they're becoming more reprobates like we are in America, our influence. So understand, I mean, the farther America has gotten from God, 
the more gross its sexual immorality becomes. One of the kingpins of pornography in America once said this, made this statement, sex is a biological function like eating and drinking. So let's forget the prudery about it and do whatever we feel like doing. It's that kind of thinking that's gotten America in a mess. Now, I'll tell you, we look at this, honestly, you look at this in a modern-day culture. Uh, it doesn't matter if uh, millennials, all millennials, whatever you are, okay, uh, whatever generation you are. The fact is this. Today, it's pushed as this. Well, this is progressive, modern thinking. This is intelligent thinking. Can I tell you, it's none of those things. Number one, it is not progressive. Frankly, it's going backwards. It's regressive. This mindset that this would be, it's a digression. And secondly, it's not modern because long before any contemporary of any of us gathered here, long before, thousands of years before that, other people had the same thought. Turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Keep your spot here, obviously. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Notice what Paul writes. It's quite an interesting statement. You may have read it before in your study of the Bible and devotions. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll look down at verse 13. We'll read just the first part to the colon. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 13. Remember this statement up above me, this quote. Now notice 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Notice it. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Well, frankly, it's very much saying a similar concept of what this is saying. It's basically saying food for the stomach and stomach for the food. That's what God created. That's what he, they, they, they just kind of go together. But notice the context all around this passage of what it's talking about. It's talking about the body. What had happened here in Corinth um, was that some Christians were wrestling with a worldview that said sex is just like eating. In other words, we were just created for it. We have to have it. And frankly, you can just do it with anyone, anywhere. It's not reserved for just within marriage. In fact, we know this to be true in places like Corinth and others. They made it part of their worship. Had temple prostitutes. Um, in fact, I, I, there was a, a missionary, someone just hearing about it. It was, it's one of our missionaries. I want to say it was the Tamongs. I can't remember who. But they were going and visiting a province where this was still going on. In fact, young children were given to the temple for this kind of use. So think of it in terms of the reality is this. Wait a minute. This concept of saying, well, it's just like eating. So it doesn't really matter. There's no restrictions on it. In other words, it's a justification for sexual immorality and indulgence. So it's, you know, it's just like eating. Everybody's got to do it. and Everybody's got to enjoy it and so forth. Now read the rest of the verse, though. Notice what, what Paul says. The rest of verse 13. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Now jump ahead to verse 18. There's a whole lot we could do it, but we're not studying Corinthians, we're studying Romans, okay? But these will help us. Verse 18. Flee, what's the next word? Fornication, run away from it. Now, that is not somebody who's agreeing with this modern-day statement, oh, it's just like eating, I just need to embrace it, uh, do it whatever you feel like doing. That's not what it says. It says flee fornication, sexual immorality, anything outside the parameters that God has set up. And we know our Bible well enough here at Fostoria Baptist Church to know that God said sex inside of marriage is good, sex outside of marriage, not good. Simple. Study the scriptures. It's there. We've done it before. 
Notice the rest of verse 18. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Sinneth against his own body. It's quite a statement. He establishes these two truths for this entire passage. That sexual morality is a sin against God. There in verse 13 you could derive it, but there's other passages too, or other verses in the passage. And then obviously sin is a, or excuse me, <laughs> sexual immorality, fornication is a sin against one's own body. And that's exactly what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 1. What was his statement? They dishonor their own bodies. They sin against their own bodies. Why? What? Well, God turned them over to where? The lust of their heart. The lust of their heart. It was just an expression and the essence of what was inside of them. Unrestricted. God removed his protective hand and, and here they are. We said that it isn't progressive. It's backwards. Regressive. It's not modern. This idea has been around before. Paul had to address it in then and that time. Number three, they, 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 say, they say that it is intelligent. It's, it's just being wise. No, frankly, you know what it is? It's madness. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, nine, verse 3, he said this, Yea, also, the heart of the sons of men, full of evil. <laughs> what is? The heart. It's full of evil, and madness is where? In their heart while they live. It's madness. And yet we look at it and we justify it and we make it sound like it's okay. To exalt sin, to glorify it, is madness. And frankly, it has wreaked havoc on our nation. Sexual immorality is rampant today, producing a nation of sex addicts that makes R-rated and X-rated movies a booming business. It makes online and published pornography a booming business. It makes prostitution and brothels a booming business. It makes college, secular college campuses and other places hubs of debauchery and scandalous parties. As Romans chapter 1 details for us, what is it? It leads to greater sin. It always does. It just doesn't stop there. It leads to more and more if you don't deal with it. So guess what? Why? Why is rape worse than it ever is? Or ever has been. Why is sex trafficking in the news now more than ever? Why are sexual crimes the norm as much as ever? Why are teachers taking up with their students? Why? Well, the answer is clear. The digression of man. You turn him over to his heart and guess what? It starts with a choice to not see God for who he is. And this rebellion against God's revelation creates what? What, what humans like to call the sexual revolution. Some of you lived during it. The beginnings of it. My friend, that's not a, it is a revolution in the sense that it was a revolt against God. What he designed. So where did it start? Rebellion. God revealed things and showed it and displayed it. It's quite a, quite. If you think it's against nature, it's against what is proper, what the order of, of what God has designed, and that is exactly the next step. 
That was verse 24. We've already dealt with verse 25 when we talked about verse 23. Now let's jump ahead to verse 26 and 27. Look with me. Here's really the next step. For this cause God gave them up. There it is again. Unto vile affections. For even their women did change the nature or the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Here's the second giving up. The first dealt with the body. Now, we would observe that this has to do with the heart and soul that is literally the affections and emotions of man. So God has given us up to vile affections, quite the description. He's given us up to vile affections. The Greek words that are translated here as vile affections. I'll let you get that, okay? I don't want to skip too quickly, all right? I don't want people to have to get out their phone and take pictures, okay? It's the seat of our affections and emotions. Eric, you have that? Eric, you got that? Okay, good. So not that Eric was the one using his phone to take pictures or anything. Okay, uh, all right, so affections and emotions. Okay, so this, these Greek words, uh, translated vile affections, literally means this, dishonorable, as you can imagine, passions. Dishonorable passions. Now, passion, we speak a lot about passion today, and it's good to have passion, but passion for the right thing. These are dishonorable passions. So here again, we have the poster child for vile affections. What is it? We know this. It's taboo. It's politically incorrect to speak of it today. But the poster child for vile affection is the next downward step. It's the spiraling effect, the next fall into the sexual immorality, the digression. And it takes it to a whole different depth. What's this passage speaking against? Homosexuality. It's this natural digression. First, sexual immorality on a basic and outside marriage and before marriage and, and other uh, perversions of it. And then, boy, you give over to natural affections and it just keeps going down the spiral. And haven't we seen that in America? We've seen it, friends. The Bible speaks clearly to this being reality. Um, the fact is this. Spiritual pravity or moral degeneracy find their ultimate sexual expression in these degrading or vile passions which Paul describes in these two verses as homosexuality. So the, uh, the ultimate digression is we find, boom, here. That whole uh, digression, that what well, we talked about all those R words, it comes down to this. In essence, we've reached the bottom of the barrel in sexual immorality. I like this statement. I hope you got that already. Um, if you wanted to copy it, you can get it later. <laughs> when man has already forsaken, this is so true, when man has already forsaken the God of nature, it is no surprise that he will then in turn reject the order of nature. So if I reject that there is a God of nature, a creator of all, then I'm going to reject the rule book. I'm going to reject how he set it up to operate. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what's obvious. I'm going to rewrite the rules. And that's literally what man does when he is given over to his own heart and given over to his own vile affections. You and I are well aware, and I'm not afraid to say it from a pulpit, homosexuality is a gross perversion and inversion of what God has put into place. The expression of these vile passions is neither natural or God-given. 
Now, I find this interesting, don't you? The very first verse when he speaks of homosexuality and the digression towards it, he speaks of women. Why do you think that is? Why, do you, why does he begin with women? I don't know 100%, but some have observed that in most cultures, women uh, are the ones that are the more resistant or reluctant, more reluctant than men to engage in uh, this kind of uh, immorality, this kind of uh, promiscuity or homosexuality. That within a culture, typically the, the, the women hold back. It is the men that lead the way. And maybe that's because by nature there will be leaders as God designed. And, but in the sin, they lead the way. And so what he's saying is if women are engaging in this, man, we've hit an all-new low. That's what God's saying. This is shocking. This is dismaying. This is a whole new low level for mankind. And I think it's interesting. The word translated, the Greek word translated as use, not the natural use. You see it there in that verse in 25 and uh, I believe even 26 there, excuse me, 26 and 27. Uh, women did change the natural use, okay? That word there um, in verse 22, 27 also, leaving the natural use of the woman. The word use is only used here. It is a Greek word that is used almost exclusively in secular Greek writings to mean sexual intercourse. So there's nothing else it could be. It's clearly speaking of what we are talking about here. And because people try to explain it away. When they start letting it in their churches, when they start letting it in their denominations, then they have to go back to this passage, and guess what? They have to redefine it. They'd explain it away. But the Greek is very clear, and as we would understand the interpretation of it, of it, it speaks clearly to it. See, it's against, we, we've seen this here again. Both verses call it leaving what's natural. Leaving what's natural. It goes against nature. A simple study of nature tells us it's abnormal. It's unnatural. What's interesting, you can study in history some of the most pagan civilizations. And even many of them saw that homosexuality was not right. It was unnatural. It was abnormal. It, It was not in the order in which we were created. One of the latest pushes by pro-homosexuals and progressive thinkers and evolutionists is to point out that some animals are homosexual or have homosexual tendencies. Now, uh, I, I really, I don't believe that. I'm not sure I do. But even if that was true, let's just say for sake of argument that there could be some homosexual tendencies found in 5% of the animal kingdom at the most. That sure still isn't natural and widespread. You can't say, oh, look, look, look at the, the, the kingdom of animals. It's all over the place. No, it's not. All right? I mean, we can just go out and we can go into pastures and we can see no bulls with bulls and we, can, we understand. This isn't how it works. This is not natural. Yet, they're trying to use that. And then, furthermore, since when should we look at animals that are below us, even from an evolutionary standpoint, and use them as a moral gauge? I mean, for even from an evolution standpoint, we are supposed to be higher, more, more evolved than the animals, but we look at them. I like how Ken Ham argues it, argues this point. He said this, if the animal kingdom is your guide for morality, then why not do everything that animals do? After all, 
Some animals eat their babies. Others eat their mate. Some steal from each other. And others fight aggressively over a mate. And 90% of mammals have multiple mates. Should humans practice all of these behaviors? Of course not. So why is homosexuality somehow different? Why is it that people appeal to the animal kingdom to legitimize homosexual behavior, but not cannibalism or violence? It's incredibly inconsistent, he says, and it shows that the argument simply does not work. Bottom line is this. What Paul is establishing here is one cannot, can simply cannot argue that homosexuality uh, is not natural. You can't argue against it. It's not natural. The world tells us. It rebels against the natural order that God has established. In the next verse, you know what else he calls it? He says it's unseemly, literally indecent. So it goes against nature. It's unseemly. Where did that which is unseemly? I mean, there's so much against it. And yet, the world at large is grasping for straws. Look at verse 27. This is quite interesting. He moves from the word for females to the word for males. Now, I want you to know this. You, you can't see it in our English King James. But the reality is, he actually uses two Greek words for, uh, for women and men that are not the typical word. See, in almost every uh, language, there is a word for man and or men and women that carries a little dignity with it in the use of it and is frequently used just to show that, that, that man has a little dignity. Well, Paul doesn't use those terms in the Greek that are used in other places. He uses one that are specific just to gender. Literally, he's saying female and male. He's not putting any dignity on this. He's not uplifting in a way. I don't think that's by accident. I really don't. I think that was led of the Holy Spirit. Paul was wise in doing that. And notice what he says. He describes homosexual men, notice the description here, as having burned in their lust one toward another. This word and this description carries the idea of craving or intense passion. Now, we catch a glimpse of this when we look into Scriptures. You could probably guess it. We gaze back to Sodom. Lot has these visitors come, and and they come into the city, and the men uh, of Sodom, they recognize it right away, and they're coming, and literally in their passion and intense desire and craving to know the men, they almost beat the house down. Lot, who, who knows what he was thinking, offers his daughters to these men. That does not even appease them. Remember the story? What happens? They're struck with blindness. I don't know about you, but that would probably stop, you would think, the majority of people. Do you realize it didn't? You know, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 11, the last part, it says this, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Isn't that interesting? Blinded, turned doesn't stop them. They're still groping for the door. They weary themselves trying to find the door to do this. Now, I'll tell you, that talks about some intense passion. A description that, that Paul uses even in this passage. There's a passion unlike much else found in this perversion known as homosexuality. There's a biography that was written 
about a forensic expert, a, a guy who did autopsies in New York City back in 1967. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't uh, categorically, morally condemn homosexuality. But as a forensic expert, he had done multiple thousands of autopsies on murder victims and others. And in that biography, he gave this warning to those who were practicing homosexuality or were contemplating it. Notice what he says. This is a forensic expert, not a Christian, someone who does not condemn homosexuality. He said this. Listen carefully. When we see brutal, multiple wound cases in a single victim, we just automatically assumed that we're dealing with a homosexual victim and a homosexual attacker. I didn't know why it is so, but it seems that the violent explosions of jealousy among homosexuals far exceed those of the jealousy of a man for a woman or a woman for a man. The pent-up charges and energy of the homosexual relationship simply cannot be contained. When the explosive point is reached, the result is brutally violent. But, he writes, this is the normal pattern of these homosexual attacks. The multiple stabbings, the multiple senseless beatings that obviously may continue long after the victim dies. Wow. Time will not permit us, but there's a whole bunch of other evidence that that supports that the consequences of this burning lust is devastating within homosexuality. In fact, I'll share this real quick. I was reading today. Um, in San Francisco, they actually have a seminar, or had it in the past. I don't know when it occurred, but sometime they had a seminar, a conference for homosexuals to teach them how not to hurt themselves and the other person when they engage in their sin. Stop them from getting too caught up, we might say, going, uh, going way past, hurt, hurting themselves, hurting someone else. Now think about this. What does that speak of? Uncontrolled passion. Vile affections, not under control. There's a reason that Paul says they burn with this passion. You and I may have seen at times this, these gay parades and pride days and everything else. My friend, there is a vitriol anger in these people. A passion that is unquelled and uncontrolled. Now, here's the sad part. America, like many other quote-unquote advanced nations, we fully embrace it. Some so-called churches and denominations have embraced it. To now try to help a homosexual return to what is natural is illegal in many states. You'll be thrown in jail. If I, as a counselor, as a pastor, try to encourage, we risk now being thrown in jail. How far have we come, America? I'll tell you what. I think we've gotten down to verse 26 and 27, or Romans chapter 1 at least, as a nation. Frankly, we've gotten farther, no doubt. What a sad case it is. In our digression, what did we say? Well, man makes the uncreated created. And now, we as a nation, as a culture, yea, as a world, what have we done? We've made the unnatural natural. We have hit in the bottom of the barrel. We've made what is unnatural, which goes against nature, which goes against God's order. We have made it that it is natural. 
So we have parents encouraging their kids, training them, encouraging schools, doing much the same thing, confusing which restroom to use. All these things. And then God adds a little commentary on the end of the verse, doesn't he? Notice it. We read it. It says this, men with men working that which is unseemly, notice it, and receiving in themselves that recompense, the natural consequences, the right and justified result of their error, which was meet, justified. It was appropriate. He says they have and will receive in themselves those appropriate consequences of their perversion, their inversion, literally receive it within their bodies. Can I tell you tonight? I'll tell you, no doubt there are the these are referring to the manifold sexually generated and transmitted diseases such as aids they've received it into themselves and it isn't just homosexuals but those who are sexually immoral are receiving it the same way stds and everything else my friend god's word does not lie and such promises, tailed on the end as a judgment for sin, my friend, you can take it to the bank, they always come true. And today, you and I are seeing verse 27 lived out, found to be true. What's the hope? Well, praise God, He can change any heart. Uh, he changed ours. The gospel made a difference. Jesus Christ renews our heart daily. He can do so with any person that's going down this same digression. And what do we need to do? We need to pray for him. Hate the sin, and in the sense, you, you try to reach the sinner. Care for them. But we've got to understand where it comes from. Hollywood doesn't create this. It comes from man's heart. Let's understand it. Let's grasp it. Let's pray for it. Let's see the evidence of what it is, and let's do our best to see people saved out of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Cliff, you bring those prayer requests to us, and we'll share these prayer requests. We've mentioned some already. We'll put up in just a moment. When we go to prayer, we'll put up the uh, different praises and prayer requests from uh, our missionaries. We'll share these with you again. Pray for Floyd Young, Mary Ann Smith, and pray for Julie Shaver. Pray for uh, Tammy Bryson, as we mentioned already, and then we'll add these. I'll ask you to pray specifically for a bus rider and uh, the bus rider's mom. And um, this is the Halverson's bus, just an unspoken, and that both would uh, draw closer to the Lord, salvation for the mom, too. So pray for a bus rider and the bus rider's mom on the Halverson's bus, and just unspoken, but also would both draw closer to the Lord and to God, salvation possibly for the mom, thanking so. So pray for that. Uh, just remember that. Ask your pray for...